these next seven weeks, we're going to look through the hard sayings of Jesus and be in awe of who he is as Christ and what it means to actually follow him. All right. So we're going to start uh, today with Matthew chapter 18. So if you're able to stand, would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 18, just in reverence and honor of God's word. And we're going to be talking about total amputation. All right. Total amputation which is taking sin seriously, because Jesus does, all right? I'll read, you can follow along with your eyes, Matthew 18, verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. And here we go. Here's our main text. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Why? It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away because it is better for you to enter life with one eye then to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we invite you because we need you, oh God. Your word says that the natural man does not accept the things of God. That without you, Holy Spirit, your, your truth, it could just become words. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to bring it to life. We need you to transform and change our hearts, to renew our minds, oh God. Lord, would you bring that sense of amazement in our relationship with you. That our relationship with you would be so dynamic that we would walk moment by moment, minute by minute with you, Lord God. That we would be amazed of who you are. We would be amazed, Lord God, of the great call to follow you and be a disciple. And so, Lord, would you do this now, these next seven weeks, starting today, for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, here is basically the crux of these whole seven Sundays. All right, and here is kind of like the main point. This is the common thread for these next seven sayings and hard things that Jesus talks about. And when you write down the main point through this whole series, it is this. Following Jesus often leaves you amazed and afraid. All right? That the more you follow Jesus, the more you track with the Lord, the more that you are in this dynamic when he speaks, you listen. When, when you speak, he listens. The, the more that you're in this relationship and following Jesus, the more you will be two things. You'll be amazed and you will be afraid. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road, meaning the disciples were on the road. They were going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. So if Jesus was walking ahead of them, what they were doing, what, what, what were they doing? They were following. And what happened when they followed God? Jesus says, and they were amazed, and those who followed were what? Afraid. And taking the disciples again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Do you guys see that? That this is not necessarily a litmus test, whether you're a disciple or a follower of Christ, or whether even if you're a Christian. 
But I do believe this sense of amazement and fear, six times in the Gospel of Mark, over 12 times in the New Testament, it describes people's reaction to following Jesus, that they were amazed and they were afraid. You know, Jesus says, hey, you guys gotta be careful and know how to interpret the times. Like if you see a, a cloud coming, you know that a storm is coming and you know how to interpret the weather. Well, here's the, the times, all right? Because for the first time ever, we live in a post-Christian society here in the United States. Meaning, in 1973, the Pew Research Center says that only 5% consider themselves religious nuns. Not N-U-N, like a nun, like a sister nun, but N-O-N-E-S. They have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They're either atheists, they don't go to church, they don't profess any religion. 1973, 5% of the population said, I'm, I, I don't believe in anything, none. In 2015, Washington Post concluded a study with Pew Research Center that says 27% of people now, one out of every four person consider themselves a religious nun, meaning they have no religious affiliation. And people look at us like, see, we need to reach more people because they're not really followers of Christ. You know, uh, Dr. Ed Stetzer, who's a Christian Muslim missiologist, says this, that, man, it's not that we're losing Christians and they're becoming more Christians. They're actually becoming more Christians. It's this, that there is a separation of wheat and tares between what we call nominal Christians, meaning you're just... Oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I went to church. Yeah, I believe the Bible. I, I, you know, I have. Yeah, I grew up with a Christian background. It's separating the nominals from the convictional Christians, meaning those who are true followers of Christ, those who would be amazed at following Jesus and in awe at the hard saying of discipleship. And so, for these next seven weeks. Uh, man, I, I'm praying that we would become followers of Christ and that we would be amazed in following him and loving him. And so in this teaching, uh, take your um, total amputation. I have three main points in Matthew chapter 18. Number one, would you write down, take sin seriously so that others won't stumble. Take sin seriously so that it's not about you so much, but it's so that other people around you won't stumble and fall away from the faith. What do I mean by that? Look at Matthew chapter 18. Before we get to verse 8, Jesus says, man, if anyone, this is the fourth discourse that Jesus has in his teaching, the gospel of Matthew. If anyone causes one of these little ones. What do you mean little ones? Because in verse 4, he says, if you have a faith like a child, it went from this concept of humility of a child, but now, instead of saying little one, he's saying little ones refers to who? Those who believe in me. Meaning, you and me. Meaning Christians, Christ followers, believers in Jesus Christ. If anyone causes another brother or sister in Christ to what? To stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, you catch what Jesus is saying here? By, if, by the way that you live, right? 
the actions that you take, the words that you say, and how you live your life, if you, by the way you live, cause other Christians to fall away from the faith, if you cause them to take offense and to walk away from the faith, it would be better to have a millstone put around your neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, millstone, what is millstone? There's two types of millstone in the ancient Near East. The first one is like a personal home millstone where you just get like a little bowl and you get um, some sort of like a grain and you grind it in a millstone, right? And that's how you get wheat. But when people have big storehouses and they have all these bags and bags and bags of, of, of barley or whatever, what they would do is they would bring a communal or community millstone and they would bring it to this big giant um, uh, labor or whatever and then they would get a donkey to have to grind the wheat or to grind the olives into an olive press and that's how you get olive oil and that would be the millstone. You can take a look at this. That is what Jesus was referring to. Not the small millstone, but this giant millstone that the community would use to grind wheat and to press olives. You know, the cruelest legal punishment in Jesus' day was crucifixion. But this image of drowning represents a Roman capital punishment more horrifying to Jewish hearers than, than crucifixion. And so what Jesus said, man, if by the way you live your life, you cause your brother or your sisters to stumble, if you don't take sin seriously in how you live your life, guess what? It would be better for you to have this giant millstone be thrown into the sea. Now, you get this giant millstone, right? If they put it around your neck, man, it would probably, the weight of the millstone would break your neck first, if not kill you. If it didn't kill you, you'd probably be paralyzed. And when you were thrown down into the depths of the ocean, you would be drowned and paralyzed and unable to do anything. And there's no escape. There's not even a chance of rescue. You're lost forever. And Jesus says, guys, take sin so seriously because our culture says, oh, boys will be boys. Oh, I stumbled, I fell, right? Britney Spears, oops, I did it again, okay? And we, we, we just kind of laugh off sin, like, oh, that's what I do. I'm just human after all. And Jesus says, no, you take this seriously. And the first step is to take sin seriously so that you don't cause other people to stumble. Because if you cause other people to walk away from me because of your actions or because of your rights, it's better to have this millstone hung around your neck and you go thrown into the depths of the sea. What do I mean by rights? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, hey, be careful, however that the exercise of your rights, the things that you're entitled to, does not become a stumbling block. You guys catch that, the connection? How you live your life, the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the who? The weak. He's gonna explain this. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Verse 11, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. 
Now you have to understand the historical cultural context here because back then during the worship times, they would offer sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of their sins or they would offer sacrifice like a blood, a gold, pigeon, whatever, a ram, and they, for the forgiveness of their sins. And so they would only take a portion of that livestock, make a sacrifice, and they have leftovers. And you just can't make and bring any sacrifice to God, right? It has to be no spots, no blemish, no wrinkles. You have to bring the best. So half of it, or quarter of it, gets thrown to the sacrifice, and the other half is like, man, this is choice meat. So other Christians are like, there's no other gods. There's only one God. There's only Jesus Christ. I want to take that leftover meat. I want to eat here. It's free. It's good. It's, you know, there's no God anyways besides Jesus. So psh, it doesn't matter. So they start eating, and, and especially new converts, they looked at that like, I used to be in that lifestyle. I was held in bondage by those demonic spirits, and I was under that curse. And now you're eating the meat that was sacrificed? Yes, you have the right to do that, but other believers saw that, and they walked away from the faith. And, and Paul is saying, man, if I cause, by what I eat, if, if it cause me eating meat, man, I'll never eat meat again. I'll be vegan. I'll be a hipster, right? I'll be all organic, and, and I'll be vegetarian. You know, after our 21 day of prayer and fasting, one of our dudes, um, his name is Patrick Tucker, and he fasted meat. So 21 days, he didn't have meat. And so he just landed in San Diego for some training because he's in the Navy and he took a picture. He landed, first thing he went to was in and out A three by three, I'm like, I need meat, oh, right? And, and Paul's like, you know what? I'm gonna make a lifestyle change. If, if me eating meat at the temple, eating meat at all, if it causes another one of my brothers whom Jesus Christ died for, if it's gonna cause them to sin, I'm gonna be vegetarian. Jesus says, man, if you cause other believers by your rights, because, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not insist on its own. You do not insist on your rights. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Paul is examining them. He's like, hey, you guys, let's build each other up. Jesus died for my brother and sister, and anything that... I may do from the movies that I watch, what I drink, how I spend my time, where I go to spend my leisure. If it causes other people to stumble, I'm not going to do that. Jesus says, take sin seriously so that other people will be stumbled or will fall away, will be offended that they, at your action, at your freedom, that they will walk away from the faith. So take sin seriously. Number two, would you write down, take sin seriously so that I won't stumble. So you think about others first, right? The acronym of joy, Jesus, others, and then you. Take sin seriously so that I won't stumble. Look at Matthew chapter 18, right? If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Why? Because it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 
And this is where we could play history revisionist a little bit. This is where we're like put on our thinking, well, obviously, Jesus was using a literary device called a hyperbole, which is a deliberate overstatement, a deliberate over-exaggeration, right? Like, oh, it's raining cats and dogs. Is it literally raining cats and dogs like canines and kittens? No, it just means it's heavy thunder, it's raining super hard, right? And you could say in our vernacular, right? Oh, have you ever had food so good, so ono that it broke the mouth, right? It doesn't mean, oh, it broke my mouth, but it means, oh, it's so good. And what Jesus is saying here is like, hey, you don't have to do this. It's just, you know, consider sin. And we could use this and we could revise what Jesus actually meant. But Jesus says, hey, you guys, take sin seriously. That have an amputation in your heart. That you amputate and you cut off your rights that you are entitled to, the freedom Hey, guys, we don't live under the law, but we live under grace. And Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could be freed from the law. But the law that we are to live is the law of love. So he takes them seriously so that others won't stumble, others won't fall away. But also so that I, Jose Galope Damanan Jr., right? John, that I don't fall away. How do you take sin seriously so that you don't fall away? I have two suggestions for you. Number one, would you write down guardrails? How do you take sin seriously so you don't fall away? Have guardrails. And what are guardrails? How many of you guys have ever driven up to Sandy Beach, right? Or Makapu, right? What happens when you steer just a little bit off? Rumble straight. Oh, straight, 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 straight. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a whale. Oh, right? It's whale season right now. It's awesome. And you know, the rumble strips, right? How about if you're completely sleepy? What prevents you, if the rumble strips don't work, what prevents you from falling over the cliff to your death? Guardrails. Now, Billy Graham, he has this uh, manifesto called Modesto Manifesto. And what that is, is that when he and his uh, leadership team, they got together in Modesto, California. Shout out, California, in and out, okay? They got together like, you know, we have to put guardrails around us so that we don't stumble and fall because the Bible, Jesus says, man, if you cause others to stumble and fall, man, we're, we're, we're James said, we come under stricter judgment. We're gonna judge, be judged more harshly because people look at us as pastors and leaders and if we stumble and fall, man, our our punishment is going to be great. So they started putting guardrails around their life. And so what Billy Graham does is that he does not go into, he's not alone with another woman in a car ever. It doesn't matter if there's a, uh, a lady at the church that, that when he was alive that he knew at raining at the bus stop, I thought, I'm sorry, I've got to put guardrails around my life. That he put guardrails around his um, finances. And I think now people make fun of Vice President Pence, but you can never accuse him of cheating on his wife. Why? Because he won't even have dinner with a wo another woman alone that's not his wife. Why? Guardrails. Understanding the propensity to fall away and to sin. We need guardrails to prevent us from going over. How do you take sin seriously? Put guardrails around your home or around yourself. 
We have a rule in our house that you don't go to the bathroom with a tablet, and the kids, you can't go to the room with, at night with a tablet or a phone and just have the internet and have the door closed. Like, we need to put guardrails around our lives for the sake of taking sin seriously, the sake of being a disciple of Jesus. Secondly, how do you take sin seriously? And this is a lot more severe, is total abstinence. Total abstinence. That I know Christians, especially if they came from a back background or life before Christ, for example, if they were if they were addicted to alcohol, they were going through AA and they destroy their marriage, they destroy their kids, they lose their temper and they com become completely different person. Guardrails won't help. I think if you have that propensity for alcoholism, you need to cut that off and amputate that in Jesus' name. You know, marijuana has become legal now. I know medicinal purpose, but if you... If you know yourself, self-awareness is so important, you guys. If you understand yourself and what your propensity is, what you're prone to do, man, don't even start. Even if it's legal here in the United States or legal in Hawaii, whatever it may be, even if it's spreading, and if you know that, man, that's going to cause you to become a different person, you know that's been a gateway drug that's going to cause you to go back to your old lifestyle of heroin and methamphetamine, and it's going to destroy your life, man. Total abstinence. Sometimes, maybe abstinence for a season at least. Maybe a couple months or even years. Like, take sin seriously. If you know that legal, uh, gambling just became legal now, and if you know that gambling is your downfall, total abstinence, you guys. For the sake of your relationship with God, for the sake of your finances, for the sake of your family, for the sake of, of stability of your household, Chop that off. Have an amputation of total abstinence. Does that make sense? So there's levels. There's, there's guardrails. You're free to do. You're free to do these things. You're free to drink alcohol. I know um, very strong leaders and Christians that I respect that just do not touch alcohol. Not because they're prude. Not because they're legalistic. But they know if they start getting that just one sip, it's going to... It's going to lead to them falling, but also it would lead others to fall away. And so they take sin seriously for the sake of others, but for their own soul, they are careful. Okay? All right. Lastly, and we'll go ahead and close with this. I think there's no better reason to take sin seriously and have an amputation of the heart than take sin seriously because God does. We take sin seriously because God takes sin seriously. Like, do we understand, like, the power of sin? Romans 5 says that it's enslaving. You understand that Jesus says, man, if you even have anger in your heart against your brother, you committed murder. That if you have lust and, and you lust for another a woman, that you're already committed adultery with her because everything starts with your heart and, and, and sin destroys. You know, I'm not going to get into theatrics here, you guys. I can show you, just Google it, before, after pictures 
of meth addicts, and you will see sin destroys. If you look at the, the statistics on pornography and how it's emasculating men and breaking up families and sexual addiction, sin destroys. And sin is so serious that God gave his life to set us free. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also, what happened in regards to sin, he suffered. He suffered an excruciating death on the cross. Do you guys know that the pain on the cross was so severe, so bad, they're like, oh, that's gnarly. No, that's not even the right word. Oh, that's so painful. No, that's not even the right word. That's excruciating. X from crooks cross. That's kind of the pain that comes from the cross. That's excruciating pain. That's excruciating suffering. They have to make up a word for the kind of pain that comes from the cross. That Jesus was scourged, whipped on his back. That he wore the crown of thorns and shame. That he suffered for sins once and for all. The righteous Jesus, for the unrighteous, you and me, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. How serious is God regarding sin? He was willing to die for sin. God was willing to give and surrender his only son for sin. Why? Because the only thing, listen you guys, the only thing that separates us from a relationship with God, John 10, that I have come to give life and life to the full, an abundant life, a life of flourishing, the only thing that would separate us is sin. That we harden our hearts and the wages of sin is death, that ultimately if we live a life style of sin, not confessing, we're going to die in our sins, and sin is the only thing that separates us from God. But the good news is this, Jesus Christ, through his life, death, resurrection, and his return, Christ died for sins once and for all. Past, present, and future sin. Christ died so that what? He might bring us to God. That he closed, that he bridged the gap. He closed the chasm so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And if it, if it cost Jesus his own life, his dignity, his shame, to take care of sin, we as a people of God, we can't just brush it off. We have to take sin seriously. This is a hard saying of the Bible, but we have to come to God as He is. Hebrews 11, that if you have faith, you have to come to God as He is, that He is God. And so this morning, we're going to take a communion. I want to ask a couple of our uh, council members to serve us, but Tim Keller says this, if you go to Jesus, he may ask you far more than you originally planned to give. But he can give you more than you dare to ask or even think. Ephesians, right? To him who is able to do far more than we can ask for or even imagine. God can do that with you. God can do that in your marriage. God can do that. Break that cycle of sin. Maybe you've gone through and your great-grandparents great were alcoholics, your grandfather was an alcoholic, your dad was an alcoholic, and you're struggling with it. Jesus could break that. He could do far more than you could ask for or even imagine.
Maybe there's a series of marital unfaithfulness and divorce that's going from generation to generation. Jesus wants to break that and, and usher in the kingdom of God into your life. All we have to do is come to God as he is, humble ourselves. Let me just say two things. One is confess seriously. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, make us clean from all unrighteousness. So take confession seriously. Every thought that you had that wasn't pleasing to God, every motive that wasn't right, that was a wrong motive, confess, 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 and also repent seriously. Repent so that times of refreshing may come. Take that seriously. And we begin to live out as convictional Christ followers. Not with here, but with here. The substance of who we are. We follow Christ. And so with that, we're going to ask um, the council to come on down. And we're going to have our communion.